Well, good morning again, everyone. I want to thank you for being here on this cold, cold morning, uh, coming out to join us as God's people come together to worship Him. Well, this morning will be message number two of five on the subject of Israel. And each of our weeks, as we announced last week, we are going to take questions as we move along throughout the message. So if you have questions, you can text them to the number that's on the screen. Uh, that number will be on the slides as we uh, work throughout this message this morning. But we're zeroing in on Israel. We said at the outset there are a number of questions that people ask as it comes to Israel. One is, what is Israel? Uh, we sought to define that last week for you. Israel is the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and through Jacob. What is Zionism? We'll be talking about that this morning. Does Israel have a right to the land? We'll be addressing that this morning in the message. Is modern Israel a fulfillment of prophecy? That'll be coming later in the series. Should we support Israel? Is Israel immune from criticism? Well, we saw last week that God said that those who bless Israel will be what? They will be blessed. And those who dishonor Israel will be what? They will be cursed. So there's a blessing that comes for the support of Israel. There is a curse that comes from dishonoring Israel. Has the church replaced Israel? We'll have a message that deals with that. And does Israel have a future? We'll also be looking at that. Just as way of review, we want to look back at what we saw last week because all of this stems from what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. God's promise to Abraham. And we said the covenant stated is this. Abraham is to become a great nation. And that's actually expanded upon in that he will become great nations in the plural. Abraham will be blessed by God. Abraham's name will be made great. Abraham will be a blessing. Those who bless Abraham will be blessed. Those who dishonor Abraham will be cursed. And all families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. And we said from this Abrahamic covenant comes three additional covenants. There are three aspects to the Abrahamic covenant. There is the land, there is the seed, and there is the blessing. From the land comes the land covenant that we'll be talking about this morning. From the seed comes the Davidic covenant, the promise that God made to David that someone will sit upon his throne and rule the entire world forever. And then there's the blessing aspect that the new covenant flows from. The new covenant, remember every time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember the new covenant that is in his blood, the new agreement that we as the church were engrafted into that new covenant and we get the benefits of that new covenant, those promises that God has 
made. This morning, as we look at it, we want to remember that not only is the covenant stated, but last week we saw the covenant ceremony. Remember, Abraham went to sleep. And only God passed through the animals, meaning this is an unconditional covenant. We saw the sign covenant. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And there were a lot of questions about circumcision last week that we dealt with. And this morning we're going to zero in on this promise of the land. So we're going to look at the land covenant and Zionism this morning. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 11. Uh, If you're using electronic devices, go to Genesis chapter 17. I encourage everyone to have a copy of the Scriptures in front of them. Genesis chapter 17 beginning with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Let's pause right there for a second. This is where the name change comes for Abram. He goes from Abram which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So God changes his name for him. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. May God bless the reading of his word to us this morning. So we see the land covenant, and then we'll talk about Zionism. The first thing I want you to see is a specific piece of property is promised to Israel. A specific piece of property is promised to Israel. Sometimes we forget that Abraham had more than just the one son, Isaac. Actually, Abram had eight sons by three different women. So the question would naturally come up 
through which of these sons would the Abrahamic covenant be confirmed? Well, God revealed very clearly that it would be through Sarah's son Isaac only. And if you know your Old Testament history, you'll know that Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And God makes it clear that the promise is going to come through Jacob. And then you will remember from your Old Testament history that Jacob had a lot of sons. And actually, the 12 tribes of Israel come from Jacob's sons. A couple of the tribes are named after his grandsons. But the 12 tribes of Israel come from Jacob, whose name was actually changed to Israel. So it is very clear throughout the Old Testament that the promise is coming through Isaac and then Jacob and then through Jacob's sons. This is Israel, and to Israel is promised a specific piece of property. Now, we call the property that is guaranteed to them the covenant of that property as it's sometimes referred to as the Palestinian covenant. I am referring to it as the land covenant. The term Palestinian covenant is found nowhere in the Bible. And it's really unfortunate that it is called the Palestinian covenant. But it's called that because largely for centuries, the land there has been referred to as Palestine. And that is a result from the Roman emperor Hadrian after the Jews had revolted the second time against Rome. The purpose was to remove Judaism and the Jews from remembrance in that land. So he referred to the land as Palestine, something that comes through the Philistines because he didn't want the Jews to be remembered. The second unfortunate part of it being called the Palestinian covenant is the term Palestine is more associated with the Arabs than with the Jews. So a better title for this, I believe, is the land covenant. But when you hear people talk about the Palestinian covenant in the Bible, what they're referring to is also the land covenant where God has promised land. Now, it's very important for us to recognize that this covenant, which flows from the Abrahamic covenant, comes through Isaac and comes through Jacob. Because the Arabs believe those in the Muslim world would believe that the promise went through Ishmael rather than through Isaac. And that's one of the reasons for the battles and the misunderstanding there in questioning who God gave the land to. So we're looking at the land covenant and a specific piece of property. If you look in verse 8, you will see there, he says that it's all the land of Canaan. All the land of Canaan, God says, he is giving to Abraham. 
In Genesis chapter 15, in verses 18 to 21, and that'll be up on the screen for you, we see, we looked at that passage last week, but we didn't go into verses 18 to 21, but it says, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the land that God says that he is giving. Over in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 4, describing the land that's given to them, it says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God is saying, I'm giving to you land, and it is a specific piece of land that is being given to them. You'll see on the screen now a map, which roughly shows the borders of this land. Can you see why there is such controversy today? I mean, part of modern-day Egypt, part of Saudi Arabia, part of Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, all of that is the land that God has promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. So a specific piece of property is promised to Israel. The next thing that I want us to see is that this promise is an everlasting promise. It's an everlasting promise. Look at it there in verse 7. God says he's promising this as an everlasting promise to Abraham. Now, let's just ask the question, what does everlasting mean? Everlasting means everlasting. Remember, we asked the question last week as we were beginning this series. When God appeared to Abraham, an idol worshiper, God showed grace and mercy to Abram. And Abram put his faith in God. And God made a promise to Abram. We ask the question, does God have a right to do that? Does God have a right to decide that he is going to bless someone and bless their family and bless their descendants? Yes, God has a right to do what he chooses to do. And God made this promise as an everlasting promise. And we need to be aware of that. Now, we need to understand that this promise is actually a literal promise of a literal land. So, there are five things that we need to keep in mind. One, literal covenants 
and their contents must be interpreted literally. God has promised land, and we just can't say, well, land means something other than land. When God gives them the borders of the land, I think it's pretty specific that this is a specific, literal promise. Secondly, the covenant that God made with Israel is eternal and is not conditioned by time. This is an eternal covenant. Three, these unconditional covenants were not canceled because of Israel's disobedience. That's one of the arguments that's being made today. Well, you know, Israel disobeyed God, so God canceled the covenant. I remind you in the covenant ceremony, who was it that passed through the animals? Only God. This was an unconditional covenant where God says, this is what I will do. Uh, the fourth thing we need to keep in mind is it's made with a specific people. It is a promise that is made to Israel. And the fifth thing that we want to keep in mind is though a promise is made at a specific point in time, not all of the provisions go into effect immediately. Some go into effect immediately. Some come into effect in the near future. And some have to do with the far off future. So we keep that in mind because God promised and God made an everlasting promise to Abraham. The next thing that is important for us to understand as it relates to this land covenant is the promise has not been fulfilled nor changed. The promise has never been fulfilled. Israel has never possessed all of the land that was promised to it by God. Now, sometimes there are those who will refer to a passage in, in Joshua that talks about that Israel had the land that God had promised to them. Yes, they had it in the sense it was there for their taking. But Israel has never ruled over all of the land that God promised to them. And I want you to know God keeps his promises. And this portion of the land that is promised to Israel will ultimately be fulfilled to Israel. So we have the land promise that is made, the land covenant that flows out of the Abrahamic covenant. Now obviously there is opposition to this. We see it clearly. And so we need to talk about, you'll hear in the news, you'll hear a statement that refers to Zionism. What do we mean when we talk about Zionism? Zionism is a movement for the reestablishment, development, and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. Now, so what is Zionism? It's a support for Israel to be in the land that they are in. That there is a place for Israel within the boundaries that have been set by God 
for Israel to exist and be there. And so it's a movement, and it's been a movement for the purpose to support Israel in the land. Now, this word Zionism, where does it come from? It comes from the scriptures itself. The word Zion is used 163 times in the Bible. 156 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. It is first used in 2 Samuel chapter 5 in verse 7, where it says, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That's his first use. That is the city of David. And that is a reference to Jerusalem. It is first called Zion, in 2 Samuel 5, 7. It's referred to throughout the Old Testament. In Psalm 137, in verses 1 through 6, we'll see that it's a clear reference to Jerusalem. The children of Israel are in captivity in Babylon. And the psalmist writes this, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, oh, what's the next word? Jerusalem. So it's a direct connection to Zion. Zion and Jerusalem. Let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Zion and Jerusalem are used as interchangeable terms. And so the movement known as Zionism is a movement that supports Israel in being in their land. Now, the word Zion is used all throughout the Old Testament. And every time it's used, it either refers to the Jerusalem area or to Jerusalem itself. But it's more than a mere location on the map. Interwoven with the monarchy of David, the activity of God, and the divine plan for Israel are all tied up in this word Zion. Once the temple was completed, Zion began to take on a broader idea, being used as a description of the entire city of Jerusalem. It was the site of the temple, the place where God dwelt. It is listed as God's abode in Psalm 76. Psalm 9-11 declares that God dwells in Zion. The Lord says that he has installed his king on Zion, his holy mountain. Psalm 48 lifts up the theme of Zion as the most important location of all, calling it the joy of the whole earth and the city of the great king. In the future, the throne from which judgment will come is found in Zion. It will also be the capital of the kingdom that was ruled by David and his descendants in the past. 
And it is where Christ will rule from in the future. Now, because Zion is located in Israel, in Jerusalem, and sometimes refers to Jerusalem, and the temple was there. The temple represented the presence of God to the Jews. Now, this didn't keep the Babylonians from being victorious over Israel. It didn't keep the Romans from being victorious over Israel. But there is coming a day when Christ will establish there in Zion, and from it will flow his kingdom where he will rule and reign forever. I can remember as a boy growing up in church, we would sing a song. It was entitled, We Are Marching to Zion. Have any of you heard that song before? Raise your hand if you've heard that song. We're marching to Zion. I really love the song. You know, I would belt out, much to the disdain of all those that were hearing me nearby. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song of sweet accord and thus surround the throne. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God, but children of the heavenly King may speak their joys abroad. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Now, I must confess that as a boy, though I would belt that out, I had no idea what it meant. I just loved the tune of the song and the way that the, the song went. But that speaks to us of the importance of understanding the words of what we are singing. So Zion, in the New Testament, and what uh, Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, was thinking about, becomes a representative term of the new Jerusalem, which will one day come down from heaven and settle here upon the earth. So when we speak of Zionism, what we're speaking of is those who support Israel having a right to the land that God has promised to them. Now, as opposed to Zionism, what we find is anti-Semitism which is hostility to or prejudice against Jewish people. See, while there are those who support Israel, there are those who hate Israel. And have you ever wondered why the Jews are so hated? It stems right from our arch enemy, Satan. See, there are promises that are made to this nation. And Satan, if he can wipe out the Jewish people, get rid of them, then there is no nation that the Old Testament tells that the nation of Israel is going to call for Christ to return, and then Christ will return to set up his kingdom. Well, if you can wipe out all the Jewish people, then that will not 
occur. So hatred for the Jewish people has been there throughout all this. Think of the battle, and we've talked about this in the past. You know, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, Cain murdered Abel. We later see the corrupting of the line of Seth, who was given by God to replace Abel. We saw the battle between Esau and Jacob. The murder of the the babies back in Egypt before they were brought up out of that nation. David, they attempted to murder him several times. Queen Adaliah tried to wipe out all the royal seed so that none of David's seed would be able to sit upon the throne in the future. The book of Esther tells us the story of Haman who tried to wipe out the Jews. The New Testament tells us the story that when Herod heard that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what did he do? He murdered all those males two years and under. All of this inspired by Satan. A hatred for the Jewish people. And friends, that hatred is present in our world today. All we have to do is watch the news. We have to do is read the newspaper. On the screen, you'll see a picture of the protests that are going on in our country against Israel. We have those who are cheering from the river to the sea chants because a Palestine between the river and the sea leaves not a single inch of ground for Israel. When you hear people chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free It is a cry for Israel to not exist. It is a calling for a Palestinian state that extends from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea with no place for Israel. When you see the signs that mean, that say, by any means necessary, Hamas means exactly what those signs say. And they showed it by their brutal attack upon Israel. If you see a a flyer related to Hamas's war on Israel that features the image of a paraglider, here's what that represents. It's glorifying the terrorists who sent paragliders to infiltrate Israel on October 7th of 2023 to massacre kidnap, mutilate, and brutalize thousands of people. There is no other meaning of those images. The hatred for the Jewish nation. Now see, all of this stems from God's promises to Abraham. You know, the the question is, Should we bless Abraham? Should we bless the nation of Israel? Those that bless them will be what? And those that dishonor them will be what? Cursed. This is an everlasting 
covenant that was made. Does that mean that everything Israel does is right and Israel is immune from criticism? No, it doesn't mean that at all. You know, there is a war going on and there are many, many people suffering who want on both sides, who wanted no part of this war. And not everything that Israel is doing is right. And I think we need to be careful that we don't justify that Israel can just do anything they, they want to. But there certainly is a difference in the way that we speak to a friend and the way that we speak to an enemy. Correct? You know what that difference is between talking to a friend and talking to an enemy. Now, as you can tell, this represents technical difficulties here. This <laughs> Hopefully, that's all it means here this morning. But what do we want to take from this? What we want to see very clearly is this. God keeps his promises. We are part of the new covenant. God will keep his promises to us. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, let's deal with questions that we may have gotten. So we have some questions from last week. Or some questions. The first one's not only a question, but it's kind of a statement, I guess, that we want to just talk through from last week that we didn't get to. So this first one says this. Pray for Israel, yes. Unfortunately, the current government of Israel, up to and including Netanyahu, are corrupt. The swamp isn't just Washington, D.C., it extends to many countries, including Israel. We should not support the Israeli government. Now, I know this is controversial uh, today, and this is what I would say to you. Remember, we talked about individually, as a church, and as a nation. Now, three different level, levels of blessing uh, Israel or dishonoring Israel. And so the first thing that I would say, be careful in what you're choosing to do that you are blessing Israel. You know, if someone is going to, to, to say it's a swamp over there, uh, the politicians, Netanyahu is corrupt, everybody in politics is, is corrupt, well... I, I'm not going to stand here and argue before you that the large number of politicians don't have to deal with corruption. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you that there's no corruption in Israel or that there's no corruption in the United States government. I think that certainly exists there. Uh, but what I'm concerned about is we're obedient to what the Bible says. And... God holds the nations accountable. Even when God used foreign nations to discipline Israel, God held them accountable for not going too far in their discipline of that nation. So there needs to be a balance there. If the Jews received God's blessing, why have they always been persecuted, including the Holocaust? Why hasn't God saved them from persecution? All right. In God's plan... We have a battle that's going on between Satan and God. I just alluded to that. And all throughout history, when Satan knows the people through whom the blessing is coming and that through Christ is going to come through the nation of Israel 
and that through the nation of Israel, Jesus will rule and reign there. They have a target on their backs. And they have suffered because they are God's chosen people. And because of that promise that they have, they have had, they have been persecuted throughout all time. And will continue to be. The greatest persecution isn't coming until the tribulation period. In Zechariah, we are told that two-thirds of the Jewish people will die during the tribulation period until finally that remnant of a third will put their faith in Christ and will turn to him. But that's why they're being persecuted. As Bible-believing Christians, should we want to celebrate Jewish holidays like the Passover? Well, I think that's a personal choice. I think... The, the Jewish holidays are for those primarily who are Jewish through their heritage. And there's nothing wrong with, with uh, Messianic Jews holding on to their family traditions and continuing to celebrate those things. Let's just keep in mind that all in the Old Testament was a shadow of the real. And Paul in the book of Hebrews, as long as you're not going back and turning back to those old ways for your salvation or thinking through those ways, you're going to have a better relationship with God. As long as you're not doing that, I don't see any problem with it. But just just make sure we're not exchanging that which we have in the new covenant that is better than what was in the old covenant. Does the state of Israel conceding land to the Arabs in peace talks qualify as dishonoring God's Israel by not claiming all the land they're due? Right. As we're going to see in this series later, we're going to see that there are two returns of Israel to the land that the Old Testament talks about. And we'll talk more about this and develop it. But it is a, there's a return in unbelief that is followed then by a return in belief. So that at this time, Israel is there, and as we, we said, most of the Jewish people in Israel are atheists. They're not honoring God. They're not serving God. So they're certainly in that land in unbelief. So for them conceding land, I don't think that is an issue. Now, what is an issue is if you're trying to wipe out the Jewish people and getting rid of them entirely. Um, this one's, a, this is really long. So when you're sending in text, if you could shorten them, that way we're not having to read super long ones. I'll read the first part of it. If the covenant was given to Abraham and his offspring, does that not apply to both Isaac and Ishmael? If not, but the covenant applies to Israeli Jews, why does Paul say that Hagar represents present day Jerusalem in Galatians 4 and Isaac represents the church in verses 28 to 31? All right. We'll talk more about that in, in a future uh, message. Uh, but the Old Testament makes it clear that the promise is coming through Isaac and then through Jacob. So we, we can't uh, just cancel that out and say that doesn't apply today. Should we be supporting Israel for political and ideological reasons or theological reasons since they identify themselves as a secular government? All of the above. I mean, there are certainly... And all right, I'm going to separate this from the biblical and from the political. In the biblical, we need to bless Israel. 
in the political area, there are those, and this isn't, this isn't scripturally, but this is politically, that there seems to be to the United States certain benefits of having an ally in Israel in that part of the world. But I'll let the politicians sort that out. All I know is that biblically, those who bless Israel will be what? And we need to bless Israel. If this promise of land has not yet been fulfilled, how do we know it's part of the covenant? And why are the people of Israel known as God's people when they're just as sinful as every other human? Okay. Israel is there in unbelief. Uh, Just there uh, to be a part of God's true people. They need to be there in belief, uh, just as today. You can be a member of the church, but still be lost if your heart hasn't been given to God. So as far as the land, land means land. And if God has promised it, then it needs, it will come to pass. Is this promised land where the new Jerusalem will come to rest on the new earth? I believe so, yes. It will come right down there. Will Israel eventually be pushed into claiming all of their originally intended borders? Their intended what? Their intended borders. Will Israel eventually be pushed into claiming all of their originally intended borders? Borders. Borders. Okay, I thought you said orders. Well, uh, those borders will be theirs, and we'll talk about this in the future. The borders of that land, which they have never yet possessed, I do not believe they will possess until Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom. Um, probably last one. And yeah, I, I don't think, we have a problem as far as music here at the end. We don't know. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Butch is going to close with a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're marching to Zion. Do you want this last question? The one more question? Yeah, let's just take this. We have that. We'll take this last question. <laughs> uh, if the Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then how is he the king of the Jews? Jesus will rule over not only all of Israel. In that sense, he will be the king of the Jews. I mean, that's what Herod, or not, that's what Pilate wrote above the, the placard that was put above the cross. Remember, the Pharisees didn't want that written. They wanted said, he said that he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, I've written what I've written. The king of the Jews. He is the Messiah that was promised, and he will rule on the throne of David. That is why he is the king of the Jews. So, how is this relevant to us today? It's relevant, first of all, overall, on a personal level, that personally, as a church, and I believe as a country, we need to bless Israel. Because those that bless Israel will be blessed. And those that dishonor them, we can see what has happened to those people throughout time for dishonoring, persecuting the Jewish people. 
So we need to recognize that. Secondly, most importantly for us, is that the new covenant flows out of the Abrahamic covenant. And through the new covenant, we put our faith and trust in Christ. We are saved. And just as the Abraham covenant is unconditional, the new covenant, because it flows out of the Abrahamic covenant, is unconditional as well. That's why my salvation does not depend on what I do. I can't do anything to earn salvation. I can't do anything to keep my salvation. We are saved by faith. We are saved by the grace of God being shown to us. And very clearly to everyone here, I want us to understand, there's no other way of salvation but through Christ and Christ alone. Let me pray as we close this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Help us that we might be faithful to you. Help us, Lord, that we might have a right perspective on things. Help us that we might rightly divide your word and not wrongly divide it. And Father, we would pray that each of us would call upon you to be saved and that we might honor you and serve you. Father, we look forward to the coming of our Savior, and we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to that day when our Savior will rule and reign over this whole earth from Jerusalem. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.